Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. I had such a good time talking to our guest today. Today, we're headed down to Australia. We're going down under. On the show, I have Chris from the popular show, Aussie Snake Wranglers, a show that airs on Nat Geo in Australia. He comes on the show to talk about his work, as you guessed, wrangling snakes. It is quite a fascinating discussion. Just, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, Australia is home to some of the most dangerous snakes in the world. I think Chris said seven out of the 10 most deadly snakes in the world and the Aussie snake wranglers literally catch them and remove them from people's homes. I live here in the States. I'm in Idaho. So, you know, we don't have Eastern brown snakes or red bellied black snakes slithering around. And it was just a fascinating discussion on what they do. I, um, you know, really enjoyed speaking with Chris and, you know, he talks about how busy they can get in the summertime. They can get up to 20 calls a day removing snakes from a variety of different places including chicken coops and this just happened chris removed a snake from a toilet bowl could you believe that a lady sat down went to the bathroom and then noticed there was a carpet python wrapped inside her toilet bowl I couldn't even imagine this. And then Chris had to stick his hands into the toilet and grab the snake after the lady went to the bathroom. It is a hilarious story. You'll have to let him recall that. Make sure you stay tuned for that. I also enjoyed speaking with Chris because he has a lot of experience working in Australia at zoos, including the famous Australia Zoo. As a fan of Steve Irwin and as a fan of those documentaries growing up, I was just fanboying out over what it would be like to work at the Crocodile Hunter Zoo. What would it be like to feed the same crocodiles that Steve fed? And, you know, when you hear Chris talk about these giant saltwater crocodiles, and these are the names of the crocs I remember Steve talking about, Agro, Charlie. Oh my gosh, I was just, like I said, I completely fanboyed out. And I also asked Chris a very, you know, legit question. You know, what are the safety precautions when you work at the zoo and you're feeding these crocodiles? What happens if something were to happen? I mean, and so it was just interesting. And Chris was actually on the the, the safety team at the Australia Zoo who would kind of look over all the safety procedures with the crocodiles. So like I said, it was very fascinating to learn what they would do. Now, before we get to the full interview, as always, I encourage you to rate and review the show wherever you're listening to the show, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, leave a review and comment. I really appreciate that. As always, I also encourage you to check out our YouTube channel. Oh my goodness, our YouTube channel. And I don't know if you are following me on YouTube, but if you aren't, uh, my channel name is just Corbin Maxey. We just hit a record 118 million monthly YouTube views. That is correct. 118 million. It is hard to like wrap my mind around, but a lot of my time is being spent on YouTube. So I encourage you to follow us over. And I also encourage you to follow us over for the after show. Now I have a warning. Our after show is PG-13 parental guidance, or actually I don't want any parents to guide their kids through this. Um, what do they say? Uh, parent advisory for the after show because I talked to Chris about the strangest item I have found when I have wrangled snakes in a person's house. It is, uh, like I said, it is a very funny story, but this story is for adults only. But if you want to listen to that after show where we talk about some of our strange encounters, it's a really good one. You can head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max, and I will include the links in the show notes. With that said, let's get to it. Chris, welcome to the show. G'day, mate. How you going? <laughs> Is not, it weird? Not much. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a question. Do people in Australia say, what's up, man? Or is it always like, what's up, mate? Uh, no, it's, yeah, I think man, man's used a fair bit. I use man sometimes. Okay. Hey, man. Okay. Sounds good. Because if I like call my buddies, hey, mate, they'd be like, what's going on? Why are you, wait, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's um with, with mate, I think. I know a lot of the time if my girlfriend calls me mate, then I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> really? Oh my gosh! Yeah, but like, like we'll say, mate. Obviously, it's 
a good old Aussie, Aussie slang, but whenever we talk to Americans, we've always got to use mate. I think it's the law now. Like you have to say mate when you're talking to Americans. Yeah, I love the culture over there. You guys seem like you're such a friendly just group of people. Is that? Yeah, we, we love it. We love it. Yeah, we, we always love. I think it's just the multiculturalism in Australia. Like we always love. There's always a lot of travelers, and so we just get along with everyone. As long as you can drink a few beers down the pub, instant friends. Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You reached out to me a few months ago, and I mean, first of all, congratulations on getting a show on National Geographic. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks, man. It, it's actually been it's been a pretty long process to uh, get to where we are now. Uh, myself and Stuart. We've been catching snakes together for like eight years and we've always been trying to push it to the next level to see if we can pick up something and for it to actually finally eventuate and to not only get one season, but we just, um, we got on to, we got a season two as well. So we're stoked. Oh my God. Congratulations, man. I just got, I just got goosebumps. When did you find out that you were renewed for season two? Um, I think when we originally started talking, we were doing promotions for season one. So mm -hmm. we were like trying to push season one and then we got the green light for season two, um, probably about a week or two weeks after that. But we had to, we had to keep it, um, a little bit quiet for a little bit, but yeah, we just, we just kind of found out that we, we good to go probably a week ago, two weeks ago. Oh, I would be celebrating like crazy because, I mean, it's really great to land a show and there's so much work that goes into it. But to get renewed again, that must feel like, oh, OK, like gratification, you know? Oh, definitely. We um, like I, I, I definitely because, you know, like I'm a bit of a movie buff and a TV buff. And I, and I said, like, yeah, the fact that we got season two before season one, like the first episode came out like straight up i was like yes we're on we're yes on. that's so cool boy and, and you actually mentioned that you're not airing right now in the states because i actually had to watch an episode on youtube so you said that you're yeah. trying to get it over to the states you are airing in australia obviously but you're still working on getting it uh distributed to the united states yeah so at the at this point in time um i think it's still being shopped uh that might have changed we'll see by the time this comes out um but yeah it's looking to get shopped in the uk us uh and throughout the whole world but yeah it's definitely first season i think is probably about just over halfway through in australia and mm -hmm. then i'm not too sure when season two comes out it'll probably be a little bit but yeah we're, we're allowed to talk about it at least that's good yeah so tell tell my listeners i mean aussie snake wranglers i mean i think it's pretty obvious what you do but maybe give a brief background uh, to people listening um so we myself Stuart, uh and the rest of the guys mick adele jess and olivia um we were for sunshine coast snake catchers so the sunshine coast is just probably about an hour north of brisbane on the east coast of australia mm. um and it's got one of the highest uh snake populations in australia so you know that old uh that old thing that americans always think that everything in uh, australia is out to kill you um that that's definitely not lost on us like so we all we all work for sunshine coast snake catchers over here and um as much as we don't like to tow the the <laughs> that um that old thing where you know you just walk down the street and you're stepping over snakes like we do we do get a fair few calls we probably get about in the really busy seasons probably about 20 calls a day to relocate snakes out of people's houses and yards wow um and, and that, that obviously, like in winter, that drops down and in the peak of summer, that, that goes up. So it, it does fluctuate. But um, yeah, so we so essentially, like we just cruise around and we catch snakes out of people's houses and we, uh, you know, we drew the line between why not have a camera crew come and follow us around and, and see what we do. So yeah, we just, that's that's it. Like we just cruise around and we catch snakes, um, some venomous stuff uh, and a lot of carpa pythons, a lot of carpa pythons. Oh, man. In Australia, as you mentioned, it's home to the most dangerous terrestrial snakes on Earth, right? Yeah, um, I think we've got, is it seven? I think it might be seven out of the top ten most venomous snakes in the world are all found in are, are found in Australia. Um, here, here on the coast, the most dangerous snake we have is the eastern brown snake. Uh, it's it's number two, so it's the second most venomous. And if you probably go, I'd say, oh, maybe four or five hours north, you'll have the coastal taipan, and that's that's number three on the list. And if you go probably seven hours west, so out into the desert, that's where you find uh, the fierce snake or the inland taipan. That's the big daddy. That's the he's the the king. 
the most venomous snake on the in the world. Yeah, I remember watching the old Crocodile Hunter episodes and he would go out and try to find the fierce snake. But I was always shocked because they really didn't have aggressive temperaments from what I saw watching Steve. Yeah, absolutely. They are so chilled out uh, as far as like really most big venomous snakes. They're really twitchy and they're really scary. Um, but yeah, out there with those guys, like they considering like they are just really chilled. Funnily enough, uh, Mick from the show, he went out west, I think, last week. And um, he got himself, he found a, an inland Taipan, so he was absolutely stoked. Like, he was frothing really hard when he got back because they're actually they're actually really, really rare to find. Um, oh. They're really hard to find. You have to you have to work, you have to put in the hours and put in the miles or the kilometres uh, driving around trying to find them. And they're only found in the desert, you said, in Western Australia? Is it like Central Australia? Is that where they're found? Um, here you can find them in other areas, but most like in Queensland here, um, cause of COVID and stuff like that, all the border situation is a bit messy. So, but you can find them in Queensland. Um, yeah, you just, you just go West. In, so it's probably like central Queensland. You'd be able to find some. Wow. That is, oh my goodness. And I'm sure were they found throughout Australia more numerous, but just basically had to resort to where humans are less inhabited. Um, oh, they're not really forced out there. I mean, it's just the way they hunt. They hunt in those open those open areas for, mm. you know, small mammals and stuff. So that's just generally where they do their best work. Okay. Okay. Man, that's insane. And so you also have red-bellied black snakes. Those were uh, in the in the episode that I watched on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, red-bellied red black snakes are actually my favorite snake. Uh, and they're Stuart's favorite snake as well. Um, just because they, they look awesome like they're all black and you get like a lot of them they'll have that nice bright red belly um mm. but funnily enough like compared to the eastern brands they're actually really easy to handle um they're much more relaxed temperament than an eastern brown uh so you can probably get away with making a few mistakes or if you're new to handling snakes you can you can get away with it with a red belly a little bit more than you can with an eastern brown yeah so tell me how does one become a snake handler if i'm if i'm a listener <laughs> and i'm like wait a second i i want to pursue this occupation how does one become a snake handler well, it's one of those funny things, right? Because they always say um, in Australia, they always say, oh, don't touch snakes. But the only way you can become a snake handler is to go out and touch snakes, obviously. Mm, so mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. begin with, you have to be a little bit naughty. Um, and it's really, just, <laughs> it's really just like um, it's just trial and error. You like So so myself, um, funnily, funnily, you mentioned Steve Irwin before. Um, Every single person on the Aussie Snake Wranglers uh, cast, we all worked at Australia Zoo at one point. Mm. Um, so myself, uh, Mick and Stu, we were all crocodile and reptile handlers at Australia Zoo. Uh, and Olivia um, was a presenter. Jess was also a presenter. Uh, and Adele is a seasoned bird handler from Australia Zoo as well. So we don't, we, we all don't, we've all moved on now, but yeah, we all have put in, like I've been, I was there for seven years. Stu what? was there for, I think for six and a half. Mick, uh, he only actually just left. He's probably only been away from the zoo for maybe, oh, I'd say three, four months. Um, so, yeah, like we, we're all seasoned veterans with Australia Zoo on the Sunshine Coast. Okay, I'm fanboying out. Tell me what, yeah. it, what, what I'm fanboying out, dude. You didn't mention that in your email. Okay, which is fine. So this is awesome. So tell me, what was it like working at the famous Australia Zoo? I've never been, so I just I, I want to live through you. Um, yeah, look, you, you don't spend seven years at a place and not enjoy it. That's for mm. sure. It, it's like any job, really. Like a lot of people, especially a lot of people that will listen to the podcast, they're probably zookeepers. They know exactly what it's like. It, it, it's it's glamorous. Some portion of it is really glamorous. Like, you know, you get to do the croc shows, which was my personal dream. Like when I first started working there, you'd get to cruise around and uh, run around in front of the crocs in front of all the big crowds and, and have a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, the other portion of it is is picking up poo. So, that's, <laughs> you know, it is it. it, it, it it's kind of a mix up. Like it's awesome in some aspects and then in other aspects, you know, it, it can be, it can be a trial. Um, but you do it for the love, right? You do it for the love of the animals and you you'll give everything for them. 
And a lot of the time they don't give you the reward back because, you know, they just, they don't know what's going on. The crocodiles still try to eat you. Um, but at the end of the day, you still love them for it. Yeah. How long were you working at the zoo before you were allowed to present in the famous crocoseum? Um, so with the zoo stuff, and especially with the crocodiles, um, you look. It's kind of like an apprenticeship. So you're looking at like two to three years before you're in the, oh. big, the big shows. Okay. Um, you start off. You start off working with the little, with the smaller crocodiles in the uh, demonstrations out in the, um, like in the environmental park we call it there. Um, so yeah, and and that 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 was good. That was good fun. Like that's that's where a lot of us we all got our entertainment side of things for the show. Uh, is from going through those shows and dealing with live crowds and, and dealing with a dangerous animal on the fly. And that, that's the biggest skill that you learn doing the shows and stuff at the zoo is how to entertain people, but at the same time not slip over and get eaten by a crocodile and be immortalized in a Facebook video. Oh my God. I know. I know. I was just, you know, I was watching or actually I wasn't watching this just on my YouTube suggestions. And it, I think it, it was a video titled Robert Irwin slips up and I'm sure it was completely just like a clickbaity video, but I was wondering what type of safety measures did they have when you are working with those saltwater crocodiles? Like what would happen if one got you? What was the protocol? Um, you're actually talking to the right guy. I used to do a bit of, I used to do safety stuff for the Crocs for a while. Really? Um, okay. So, so when when we when we train people, um, basically, it, to be honest, it, it's not hard to it's not hard to feed a crocodile. Like if you if you came over and you were in the croc enclosure, I could have you feeding a crocodile in five minutes with instruction. Oh. Like it's, it's not really super difficult. It's the consequences that are difficult. So mm. it's that routine that you have to get into. So if you slip over and for some reason the crocodile gets you, you 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 know we're not going to beat around the bush. You're in a lot of trouble. Uh, these these crocs are very big. So essentially, um, what it comes down to is stopping the person going into the water. So that's why we bring the crocodiles out on land as much as oh, we can. Oh, um, okay. Because that gives you the advantage then. So you know, you, you as soon as as soon as the crocodile's got you in the water, uh, it's 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 pretty much over. They're 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 too powerful. They're they're just so um they're so massive and they're used to taking out like some of the crocodiles that we have there are five meters. They could they could smash a cow. No oh problem. my god! And in five meters, uh, can you put that in American terms um, for us? Eighteen feet. Is that not? Hey, I'm, 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 I'm a zookeeper. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a good at maths. Um, yeah, I think I think it's like 16, 17 foot. Okay. So big, big, big enough to really sort you out. Wow. Um, but, okay. Yeah. And and so like obviously with the crocs and working with the venomous snakes there, that that obviously gives you the um that gives you the kind of like on the side from the zoo that's when Stuart started the the business like he mm. started doing snake catching outside of work as a supplemental income uh mm. and then that kind of just grew and grew and grew and then you know all of us kind of jumped on board and we started doing it as well and then Stu, um he left and he uh like you know did it started doing snake catching full time and then we all just kind of jumped on board as well really so i mean i don't know if this is really personal to ask but is it pretty profitable snake wrangling um, yeah i mean it's it's not too bad it's, uh, it's you're definitely not going to retire off it that's for sure um, okay but okay it's, it's it's no different to the zoo you're not really doing it for you're not doing it for the money you're doing it to uh stop to mitigate that you know incidents between people and snakes yeah um, because it does happen like people do get snakes in people's houses um funnily enough uh two days ago uh, it was on. It was on the. I got an interview with ABC. I actually found a snake in someone's toilet. Oh, uh, like nice! Actually, in the bowl, and the poor lady, like she'd been sitting down, and she looked down oh. in between her legs, and there was a meter-long carpet pipe and just oh hanging out uh, in the. <laughs> so oh. I'll, I'll send you the link. You can Please. It in the show notes, but it was it was crazy. Um, I've never seen that before, and I've been doing this for like six, seven years. I've never seen that before, and she was panicked, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, the, then I just had to sit there for 40 minutes and contemplate the fact that I was going to put my hand into someone's whiz water oh, to get this. No, <laughs> she already peed. She already went to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, she oh, went to the bathroom and oh she didn't God. realize until she looked down and oh saw God. a snake there, and she just ran out without pants on. No, so she was gone. Oh my God! And then she called. She called us, and oh yeah, and then I rocked up and I had to stick my hand in there. It was 
an interesting call. Oh man, are you? Thank God it wasn't number two. Could you imagine if yeah. she if she pooped and she was like, "I'm sorry, man, you're gonna have to go in there." Like I feel bad for the for the carpet python, honestly. Oh, I I just I don't want to think about it because I don't want to I don't want to jinx myself and then it might actually happen in the future. But yeah, it was yeah, it was definitely an interesting call. Yeah, how did the snake? So it did it? I guess go through the plumbing. Is that what you're assuming? Or did it just get in there like just for water or to soak like from outside? Yeah. It, the, like where I found it was right on the beach, actually like beautiful, beautiful spot. Um, but yeah, it, it's coming up through the pipes is like, that's weird. That's rare. Like the, I don't, okay. I've never seen that before. So it's definitely something that I wouldn't really, um, I wouldn't really think, I mean, you don't know for sure, but there's a good chance that they've just like rocked up. And cause when she originally saw it, it was actually tucked up underneath the rim of the bowl. Oh so my God. Just, 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 just to put it in, just to put it in context. Cause I know this blew my mind when I came to Canada and America in, in Australia, the toilets, the water actually doesn't come up as high as oh. it does over in the states so you guys are probably like like you know under the bowl is like the water right but in australia there's probably only about maybe five to six centimeters of water in the bottom of the bowl so oh. there's actually a lot of space underneath like oh my god seat. oh so man it was just hanging in there. So there you go. There's there's a bit of toilet tidbit information. Oh my god! You know, I'm happy it wasn't a guy though sitting down, so things aren't hanging around and <laughs> especially carpet pipes. That's they, oh my they god! Are designed to grab things that dangle. Oh my god! That sounds horrific, man. I couldn't think of a worse surprise. Oh man, that lady was probably freaked out. Yeah, when I rocked up, she was she was peeking. She was just like, oh my god, and and funnily enough, because because it is so rare that you find a snake in a toilet bowl. Yeah, I didn't actually like look in the toilet bowl to begin with. I was I searched the whole bathroom mm. for probably 30, 40 minutes, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And she was peeking because she's like, oh my goodness. And then yeah, I lifted up the toilet seat, and his little head like I'll send you a picture. His little head was just sitting like right there, just just by, underneath the um underneath the toilet paper. Oh that was in my the bowl. god, and it's. <laughs> It's so hard too, cause cause you want to like tell the lady like snakes are good. This is so rare. They don't crawl up in your toilet, but then this actually did. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that's like and, what and we tell people. They don't do it. it. Definitely, it's, it took me a while of contemplation just to get used to the fact that I was going to put my hand in there. And I, I instantly thought of uh, that meme from Narcos, where uh-huh. um he's just sitting there in the pool with his hands behind his back, just thinking to himself like. Oh. I have to put my hand in the pee water. Oh. This is it. <laughs> like, it was, oh, it was not- man. Did you take the snake out really quick, put it in a bag, and then wash your hands immediately? Um, oh, actually, because of the way I had to get him, I had to. I didn't want him slinking back in under the pipe into the, like into the pipe work because if they oh, had a yeah. flush the toilet or it happened on the other way, he he might have died, and I didn't want that. So I actually had to go for what we call a head grab. Um, mm. where, yeah, you just basically go in really quick, uh, good positioning behind the, behind the head there with a python, uh, and then they actually instinctively curl around your arm. Mm. Uh, and then once I, once I had him out and on the arm, the lady came in and she like, you know, I had to say like, hey, I'm, I'm bringing the snake out. Don't, don't lose it. And I actually washed him off. I washed him off under the basin and, um, yeah, just got him all nice and clean and then, yeah, released him in the bush and he's all happy and healthy. God bless you for washing the snake off. That's so yeah. nice of you. No one wants to walk around or slither around covered in pee water. Yuck. No, I uh, so I I don't think I've ever publicly said this, but when I was seven or eight, I had a pet Burmese python and he was probably around two and a half, three feet. And he got loose in the apartment that my family was living <laughs> in and we couldn't find him for weeks and you know and it's just one of those i was young like i think like i said i was eight or nine years old anyway long story short my mom is getting ready to cook dinner on the stovetop turns on the burner and she finds the python wrapped around our oven burner <laughs> yes can you believe that i mean now, now, yeah, now going for the hate yes and now, now don't worry the snake was fine we the snake was not hurt we were able to safely get it back into its enclosure but uh, can you believe that but yeah it had been living i think just attracted by that heat on our stovetop it'd been living there for a couple weeks i'm assuming or around there to get the heat 
Yeah, funnily enough, um, we do actually find quite a lot of pet snakes, uh, you know, in the work that we do, like cruising around and, and catching snakes. Like, you'll know because it's a snake that's obviously not from here. Um, so my actual first snake call was a Centralian carper python, uh, which is normally found like out, you know, Alice Springs, like in the desert in the middle of Australia. And you can tell like they look like a normal carper python, but they've got like a really nice coppery color and they like they do look slightly different. Um, so, yeah, it does. It does actually happen quite a lot. People lose their pets and a lot of them as well. Yeah. In Australia, you have to have a license. You have to have a license to have a reptile. And um, so a lot of them don't, they don't want them back because they don't want to public, publicly collect them because they might get in trouble. Yeah, this is something that shocked me because I've had several people on the podcast from Australia. You can't keep the types of reptiles that we can keep here. Like I have no. ball pythons, I have boas, I have the the Burmese python. Look, I'm not trying to rub it in your face. I have like all these animals and it's. I've, <laughs> I've talked to people from Australia. They're like, we can't have those here. No, so you, you can get special licenses. So um, Mick and Adele from the cast, um, they've got their own business called Wildlife Unleashed. Mm. And um, you can get what's called a demonstrator's permit. So one, oh. once you get like a demonstrator's permit, and it, it's, it's very similar to like a zoo permit, um, you can then get some of these more exotic animals. So uh, funnily enough, Mick has, he's got, I think, two crocodiles now. He's got two salt Really? What? Yeah, but they're only little. They're only for display. Oh. Um, but in, Queens, in Queensland, if it's over, I think it's 1.3 metres, you have to return them um, back oh. to where you got them from. I'm um, so jealous. What, what what are their temperaments like? Are they just nasty little booger, like they're just aggressive, the little salties? No, they're actually super chilled. Like they what? use them for photos and everything. No, um, a lot, a lot of handling. Then they're, they're not as good as the alligators. Oh yeah. Um, at the zoo, at the zoo, we used to do photos with alligators. No, no tape on the mouth or anything. And with conditioning, they're just they're so chill. They're so chill. I would fan. Bo- I I would freak out if I got to hold a little baby saltwater crocodile. I mean, so I'm. I don't know if you know. I I have currently care for two alligators. And so, yep, yep Sonny and Chompers. Sonny is uh, 9.8 feet, and Chompers is almost, she's 7 feet. And so I'm used to working with alligators, and I always make the joke with my audience, if these were crocodiles, I would not be alive. Because, like... <laughs> seven, seven foot is massive as well. Like, that, that's a big, that's a big gator. Like, he's get, he'd be getting up there in size. Well, yeah, that's kind of funny how I, like, I kind of, like, write her off. I'm like, Chompers is only 7 feet. You're like, that's still pretty darn big. <laughs> Yeah, like, well, I mean, you know, like when you work at the zoo and stuff, you're working with huge, dangerous animals. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to pets, like, I tell you what, you if you come over to Australia, uh, Mick and Dell, they'll 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 get you working with salty. Oh. And by then, by then, it'll be a decent size. So we'll see how you go. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I was talking to my friend from Gatorland. Savannah, um, some Savannah Bone. She has a big social media following on Instagram and TikTok, and she was talking about the differences between feeding alligators and crocodiles. And she was saying, with crocodiles, it's all in their eyes when you feed them. Would you say that? Yeah. Really? That yeah. is so fat. I feel like my alligators are almost like teddy bears compared to what it would be like feeding a saltwater croc. Yeah, the um, you you know, once you get like the experience, you get a little bit closer. You can read them a lot better. Um, okay. I find, yeah, in, in the eyes, but also in the back legs. Oh, that's uh, what she so said you, too. Yep. You, yeah, yep. if you see the back legs, they bring them up, and sometimes they do it so sneaky that you don't even notice. They bring them up really, really slow. But mm-hmm. the the thing with Crocs is that they're just they set apart from other reptiles. They just learn. They they know. You know, like, so for instance, like, you know, back in the zoo days, you'd be mowing an enclosure and you would go through one little section and be up against the fence and the crocodile will be there and you watch him the whole time and you go past, he doesn't move. And he might do that a thousand times. And then that thousand and first time you go past and you don't know, but he's been getting closer and closer oh and my closer God. and closer and closer and that thousand the first time you go through he has this massive strike at you and you crap your pants and you run real quick and you get away uh and then he just sits there and he's like yeah got you boy oh like he's my just God. they're like that they they've got that instinctual intelligence where they they can learn 
they 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 remember they know that you jump in into the enclosure in that certain section they know certain sections of the enclosure where they can hit the fence in one in one strike and yeah you you always have to be on the ball which which goes across with working with any dangerous animals you know you've got to you know, learn how they work and how they maneuver and to save yourself yeah they're really intelligent i always tell when 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 i go live on my tiktok page with the alligators i swear to god they know like they know like okay this i mean they are used to me with my phone for a half an hour and just like answering questions and this and that and it's like they know the difference between that or a feeding it is or a cleaning it is just amazing what they can pick up on but I would say in just on the intelligence scale from talking to experts, I've never worked with crocs directly, but that crocodiles are probably a hair more intelligent than alligators. Would you agree? Um, yeah, I'd say they probably are. The, the thing with the thing with gators is they just they just they do their thing. So with the crocs, they, they think about it before mm. they think about like how they can get to you. What's the oh best way? What, what plays to my strengths? Like I'm really good in the water. I'm not so good on the land. So I'm going to try and have a crack at him from the from the water. Um, we at the zoo they actually grade all the crocodiles. Um, so if you're a big fan of Steve and a big fan of um, like the the old school Steve stuff and you'd know all the crocs. So agro, agro, yes, agro. Yeah, yeah. So agro's old. He's a bit older now. Um, so he is what he's a level five crocodile. Um, whereas Charlie. Uh, who, he was also in in some of the documentaries. He's the king of the tail walk. Uh, he's what's called a level seven crocodile. He's one of the last crocodiles you learn to feed because he actively looks past the food and he doesn't really like, he's not just going through the motions of the show. He's using it as an opportunity to get you. Wow. And are they, and so they're, they're actively, and I always tell people when I feed my alligators, they, they do not look at me as food. They don't look at Corbin and say, Oh, I want to eat him. They know that I'm the person who brings him a chicken, but with the crocodile, it sounds like they are legit looking at you as like, Oh, this could be something to eat. We all, we always used to say that they are always after the big bit. And then the only reason we get them to do the, to do the performance, they get the consolation prize, but they would love to get the big bit. Oh my God. You know, you know, were were you a fan of Steve Irwin growing up? Oh, of course. Like I grew up, I think I, I think I tailed my first snake when I was like seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh my goodness, my mum, she just lost her mind when she found out that I was doing that. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's a thing. Like my, my first love, I, I was actually, and I still, I still do uh, work there sometimes. I was a shark diver at SeaWorld here on the Gold Coast. Oh, and um. Yeah, so my first love was sharks, and then working with dangerous animals in an enclosure like that, then that leans upon working at the zoo. Um, mm. And then so, yeah, I moved to the zoo and, and was working on from there. So, you know, between all of us, like on the show, we've, we've all got like, you know, easy five-plus years of dangerous animal experience each with, with certain animals. Yeah, was it was it surreal working with a crocodile that Steve had worked with, Agro, charlie was it just surreal being like what i just oh my goodness <laughs> um oh, i wouldn't say i wouldn't say that I, it it it's you think about it differently when it's in a professional environment you're thinking mm. about not uh, about not getting eaten yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it's 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 not so much um like you you know you, you're getting taught by guys that steve's taught personally mm. uh, and that that knowledge is passed is passed down mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it's it's you're focused you're you're laser focused especially especially after working with with sharks and stuff you 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 know that it's all about body language it's all about uh your situational awareness um you you've got to know where each animal animal is in that enclosure at all times and you've got to know your exit uh so th- that's pretty much know your exit is the first thing they teach you at the zoo mm-hmm. when you get in with the crocs is is know where the crocodile is and if he has a crack at you right now uh, it's all risk assessment jump the fence um and that's it like yeah yeah and they don't have any doors right steve don't did, his old enclosures never had doors you had to hop the fence because he was always it was said yeah. that he was afraid that someone would leave the door open <laughs> yeah that, that, most of the enclosures will have at least like one gate just so that we can get things like mowers and stuff in sure um but we generally unless we've got that stuff like if we're just feeding and that kind of thing you just jump in you, you just jump the fence because it, 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 it make, keeps you fit and mm. um you know if you can lug yourself over a six foot fence you can you can do you know you, you know that you in an emergency situation you're going to be able to get out yeah oh my goodness did you have any close calls 
everyone has close calls. <laughs> some, 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 are clo- some are closer than others. Um, it, it depends. Like when you first start out, a close call could be the crocodile going nuts from across the enclosure because, you know, you've, you're just starting. You, you get freaked out. Mm. Um, a lot of the time, things like close calls, like slipping over and that kind of thing, oh that's, that's a close call. That's, that's as pretty much as scary as it gets. And at the end of the day, you go home and you're like, oh, man, that was, that was bad. Yeah, so I don't think I'll do that again. But it would be that is a skill feeding a dangerous saltwater crocodile in front of you know hundreds, sometimes thousands of people while having to do a, the presentation. My goodness, that is mm. that's that's a lot of multitasking. That's a uh, that's definitely yeah. hard to do. I mean, you just go with it. Um, after a while, after you've done a lot of shows, you mm-hmm. it, the the presentation side of things. Like so, like me personally, like I, I, I like I'm an entertainer. I like to entertain people, and I like to have fun with the crowd. Like mm-hmm. you know, there, there's been times like I've, I've I've gone out and I actually ripped my shorts, and so you know, <laughs> my, my bits were hanging out for a little bit. And, you know, all the all the guy, all the backup guys in between fences are laughing their head off, and you know, you can either be embarrassed and run backstage or you can just own it. It is what it is. Um, so you just you just go with it. But it's the crowd interaction. The biggest skill there is obviously knowing the crocodile and where the crocodile is and the, the same principles of working with dangerous animals, mm. but also at the same time trying to share that with people. And that was Steve's great gift was, you know, he brought these animals to people in an entertaining fashion. And mm. that is why he was so popular. That's, yeah. that's what made Steve is the fact that he was just this Aussie guy and, you know, he was getting in and doing this crazy stuff, but also entertaining people and, you know, making people laugh and, and, and doing that kind of thing. And that's why he was so popular. I think so. And I've worked, had the privilege of working with the same producers and animal handlers who worked with Steve when he would do press here in the United States. Cause Steve and I would do the same TV shows. I was much younger. Steve was obviously a, the global superstar that he was. And they just said he was the same, how he was on camera, off camera. There was no, it was not a show. It was, <laughs> that was Steve. <laughs> so, and that, yeah. that, that makes me happy. Yeah, definitely, and 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 you know, and the 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 stories are true. He he was um I I did meet him. Um, oh, you did? Was, yeah, like when I was working my last job at SeaWorld, um, it was two thousand and five. Uh, I did meet him briefly down there, so that was actually like, you know, that, that it it didn't push me into working there. Um, but when I came back, it was like, oh well, I've never I've never actually been to Australia Zoo until that point. Um, and then, yeah, when I started working there and then just, you know, loved it seven years later. And then, yes, from, from that, using that experience to bridge on to things like Aussie snake wranglers and other animal stuff. Yeah. That's one more thing about Steve. What was that like meeting him? What do you say? Were you like, hi, I'm a huge fan. (laughs) No, I was just like, yeah, well, I I was just like, Hey mate, how you going? Nice to meet you. And he's just like, yeah, g'day mate. And, um, yeah, that that was pretty much it. We were working with some shark stuff at the time. We were uh, building shark bay and, um, yeah, after that, it was just like, that was cool. That was cool. He was, he was a down to earth guy. He, he's exactly what he is on the TV. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's all, he's all world and he loves it. Uh, he loves what he does and it's so good that he was successful and it's such a, you know, such a robbery on the animal industry. I think when he died, um, Huge. but then, yeah, like, you know, unfortunately that's just the way the world works. And, and I think his legacy is Australia zoo and, and that, Every single person there, and I'll give them, you know, the respect that they deserve. Every single person there is so dedicated, and a lot of those people, they probably don't get the, um, you know, the, the the stuff that they deserve for just committing their life, like the, you know, their twenties and thirties and forties. Like there's some people there that have been there for like thirty, forty years, hmm. and those are people that, you know, they they don't get they don't get the, you know, the notoriety and the press and all that kind of stuff, but they bust their bums to. Yeah. make sure those enclosures are nice and clean and they work so hard with those animals to make sure that they're presentable and everything's, you know, all good. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of really hardworking people there. Mm-hmm. What is the zookeeping culture in Australia? Because here the jobs are super competitive, but the wages are super low. The hours are extremely <laughs> long and a lot of people get 
Um, I mean, there I had someone on a good friend of mine, Tiffany. She's a social media influencer, and she works at a at at a zoo here in the states. And she came on the podcast to talk about compassion fatigue, which was something I always thought people just you know kind of were like, oh, you know, used as an excuse. Or I never really looked into it, but she went in and talked about how incredibly stressful and how exhausting it is being a zookeeper. Yeah, well, it's no different. I mean, yeah. Australia has a We've got a high minimum wage, so you you can you can live off it. Oh, okay. Um, you can live off being a zookeeper. Like you don't have to really take uh, a second job if you don't want to. Like we did snake catching as supplemental income just because we it was good experience. Like it's good to, you know, work with the dangerous stuff outside of work as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is it is competitive. It's a competitive industry. It's it's a lifestyle job. Most lifestyle jobs in Australia are competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can either earn the big bucks going out mining, doing that kind of thing, um, or you can, you know, work. You can work at the zoo, and you're not going to get paid as much, but you get to have a cool time. You get to hang with the animals. You get there's a there's a good, um, you know, all, the team there is really really awesome to work with, and yeah, it kind of that that's that's pretty much about it. But it's not it's not much different to in the states. Funnily enough, like I um in the in the states when I was considering traveling over there, um. I actually hit up the company that owns SeaWorld. Is it Anheuser Busch, An- the beer company? And Anheuser Busch, yes. I think they've since yeah, sold yeah. it, but yes. <laughs> I um I hit I hit them up and I was like, hey guys, like I'm a I'm a former shark diver. Like I do all the maintenance and stuff for the SeaWorld over here in Australia. Like um I'd be interested in traveling. I think it's like, oh yeah, well. Unfortunately, the job that you do in Australia that you get paid for is done by volunteers over here. Oh my! <laughs> I, was God. Like, I was like blown away. Oh yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's it's very similar. You know, it, it's a dedication. People, animal people, have a dedication, and mm. like um, I mentioned, mining and stuff. So Jess, uh, Jess from the show, and myself, uh, we're what's known as fauna spotters. So we go out uh, into these mining sites in uh, central Queensland and stuff, and we actually relocate animals away from those sites. Oh. Uh, so that's actually what we do. We don't we don't do obviously uh, snake catching full time. Oh. Uh, it's just like a part time gig. Uh, but yeah, that's what that's what we do uh, out there. Okay, so you so the the mining company hires you to go out and remove wildlife before they start mining. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so wow. we, we relocate animals around there. We relocate snakes from the from the camps. Uh, hmm. Pretty much anything animal related. That's that's what we do. Yeah, and I was you know speaking about just like having you know working in the zoo industry, and I was watching you know Aussie snake uh, wranglers on YouTube. I was just thinking, what an exciting job. It's not a nine to five where you're sitting at a desk. I mean, every day is completely different. And that's why I loved how watching the show, it was chopped up where you saw different angles and different stories from different catchers. They did a really good job yep. with that. Yeah, yeah. No, they, the the production guys did really, really well, especially considering the, like the go, go, go when we go to a call originally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... The, the guys pretty much, they don't have time. It's not like uh, some other shows where, you know, like it might be scripted or something like that. It's just literally we rock up and then we just go because yeah. the snake is the priority. So we need to, we need to, because the snake might be in a bad position. It might have animals. It might be threatening animals or something or, or, or kids or, or anything like that. So pretty much the first, the first thing we do is we locate the snake. Um, so yeah, that's it. Like as soon as we, as soon as that car pulls up, uh, we're out, we're out and we're going. So, and the, the guys do a really good job of following us. And, you know, a, a lot of the time as well, we, the got the, you know, the camera guys, they're not exactly snake handlers themselves. Mm. So we kind of have to tell them just to position themselves in a safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. cause you know, like you need, you do need a bit of space to work with like things like Eastern Browns and mm. for season two, I can give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a heads up is there's some, really really uh close interactions with some brown snakes in there and it's like in enclosed spaces no- nothing's worse than having a venomous snake in an enclosed space and it's super scary Ooh! oh my god i bet the production is just so happy about that like oh my god <laughs> like i can see it now <laughs> like <laughs> That's that's why in all the promo pitches um, for for us when we're actually working is we just covered in GoPros because it's really the only way yeah. we can guarantee that we actually get the shot 
is if you've got a wrist cam and you've got a chest cam and sometimes you have a head cam and we've got cams in the car and the, it's just GoPro central. You can't scratch your, you can't scratch your own bum without having somewhere <laughs> on, the, on the GoPro. And the production guys after the fact, you know, like after a big day, they might be like, hey, check this out. And it might be Olivia and she might have just like for a second scratched her nose and now it looks like she her nose. <laughs> yep. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So is there ever a time when you show up to a place and you, you know, you see the snake, you try to catch it, but it is completely unsuccessful. What do you tell the, what do you tell the owners? (laughs) Worst possible situation. Actually, like, believe it or not, two nights. So after I, after I got that snake in the toilet, um, that night I got a call just around the corner for a, um, it ended up being a brown tree snake. Um, but, she'd seen the snake cruising through her house and she'd flipped out. So when I got there, she was sitting outside with the dogs. She refused to go back into her house. Um, and I looked everywhere. Like I turned that whole house upside down uh, and could not find it anywhere. And I was like, sorry, guys, like this, I can't, I can't find the snake. Like, you know, <laughs> after a while you, you get to learn the spots where they normally hang out, like, you know, shoe racks and, and in the corners, like, areas that are nice and dark and so the snake feels safe um and then she actually called me back uh i think it was like 12 30 and after i left so this is probably about 8 30 after i left she kept looking around the house because she was just like flipping out yeah uh, and then she called me back and i went out at 12 30 there was a crazy storm lightning and everything and we and i ran in and and um finally found him sitting in a in her daughter's shoe pile oh my gosh yeah yeah cool cool little picture well at least you were able to catch the snake though yeah absolutely and and that's the thing like that's the worst outcome is going to someone's house and not finding a snake especially if they've sent us a picture and we know that it's venomous Mm. um that's the worst that's the worst possible outcome for us it's always good to have you know, go away with the snake uh, and everyone's happy and healthy and, and everyone's all good. But yeah, it, it does happen. You don't ever tell people just to coexist with them and say like, you, you live in their backyard. Like, I don't know. I don't <laughs> know what to tell you. This is a free pest control, uh, you know? Yeah. Well, some people are pretty good with it, um, especially with the carpet pythons. Like, mm. so carpet pythons are like, they're a little bit smaller than like a Burmese python. They're not, they don't get as big, but they're, they're very similar. Like they're heavily built. Mm-hmm. They're designed for capturing, you know, mammals. Um, and a lot of the time, especially when, you, when, you know, they might be a little bit further west where it's a little bit more country, they know what the snakes are good for. They know the snakes are great for pest control. Mm. And so most of the time, if they're not in the house, they're happy for them to, you know, just be released outside. Um, but most of the time, if we get a venomous snake call, they they don't want it around the house because they have kids or they might mm. have pets or they're just afraid of snakes in general. Um, mo- most of the people that are happy to coexist with snakes, they don't really call us because they see a snake and they're like, <laughs> yeah, 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 right, okay, all right. Well, I guess that's a that's really Australia, good... <laughs> that's, yeah, that's Australia for you. All right, well, I'm just going to go and find myself some spiders and some crocs and (laughs) oh my gosh do you run out of places to release the venomous snakes because if you're if you're getting over 20 calls a day you're releasing a bunch of snakes (laughs) oh man i'm so glad like that's a great question and i'm so glad Stuart's not here at the moment because he oh man this this triggers him really really hard so in australia i know um like along with the animal stuff um, we're not, we have to have certain licenses and stuff. The government is, is kind of strict on certain things over here in Australia, which mm-hmm. is, it's, it's a little odd, but so our permit that allows us to catch snakes from people's houses, we have to do like get a permit, do a course, like just a snake, like one day snake catching course. And, um, basically we can't release into national park. Um, which is really odd. It's a really odd. So their yeah. thinking is is come. It's coming from a good place. Like their thinking is, if we release, like you said, like twenty. Let's say we release twenty pythons a day in the one spot. You've now created an artificial environment where it's just filled with carpet pythons. So you've sure. just got like nonstop predators. Um, and so they don't really want to upset the balance mm. that's in some of these national parks because you know it's natural. Um, even though these animals are probably there already, uh, they don't want to upset the balance. So we're stuck between 
releasing on council land and releasing on private land. And obviously, I wouldn't be happy if some, <laughs> if, if myself, if I look down and I see Chris, like, again, releasing a brown snake at the bottom of my property, <laughs> I am 100% going to go down there and be like, oi, Peter out of here. Like, that's, that's just the way it is. So, yes, it, it is hard to find a lot of land um, to release. We, we all have certain release spots where we release and we, we try to keep it as discreet as possible. Like, Stu, Stu's hard to be discreet because he's got Snake Cats 24-7 wrap on his four-wheel drive. Like, he's just covered in <laughs> his signage. So it's a bit sus. Funnily enough, when we were working at the zoo and Stu had that car, he got so much grief from people because as soon as they saw that car they knew that he was releasing snakes yeah and so they they'd go over and they'd wait for him to come back to the car and they'd get up him oh uh, and he's, he's had like calls from the police going hey mate we've just seen your car at this certain spot a fair bit we're just just making sure you're okay that you haven't been bitten and fallen over <laughs> oh every time past you there and yeah like he he has copped a bit of grief from having the signage and stuff so it, it, it's hard it, it's you just you just work with it yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, listen, I've had such a good time speaking with you, Chris. Do you want to join me for the after show? Oh my God. There's an after party. There's yes. an after party. And in this after party, I have to tell you, cause I have done some snake wrangling myself, not as much as you, but I have done some snake wrangling and I have to tell you the oddest object I've ever found in somebody's house, but it's a little inappropriate. So we're only going to, we're going to have to do it in the after show. So audience, if you, you go ahead. Go you're ahead. you're really pump you're really pumping me up there with no. all the experience I've got. Funnily enough, between all the guys and the thing, I'm definitely billed as the worst snake catcher on the Amazon <laughs> coast. That's what I build myself as. Like I, if it if it's anything other than a carpet python, I'm just like, oh, this is a bit scary. I think <laughs> someone else can do it. So that's, that's I just had to, I just had to correct the record there because Stu will listen to this and he'll just be like. Don't talk yourself up. Mate. Don't talk yourself up. Well, you're still part of the show. So anyway, audience, if you want to join Chris and I from Aussie Snake Wranglers, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. But before I let you go, Chris, where can people follow you? Um, you can follow me personally on Instagram at okay. uh, Tyrannosaurus Soul. Tyrannosaurus oh. underscore soul. You'll find me there. Um, and you can find the guys on Facebook uh, at... Uh, Sunshine Coast Snake Catchers, okay. uh, and then also on um, on Instagram as well, Sunshine Coast Snake Catchers as well. Perfect, and I will include the links in the show notes. With that said, let's head on over to the after show. Let's do it. I'll bring the beers. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.